You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we continue with week two of our three-week Easter series that focuses on Jesus' final days leading up to his crucifixion and ultimate resurrection. Today, we begin in Luke chapter 24 with some insights from other parts of Scripture as well. It's our prayer that the Holy Spirit would challenge and change us as we study God's Word today. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Luke chapter 23? Luke 23 will be where we begin today, although as probably per usual, uh, we will find ourselves navigating throughout other uh, gospel narratives this morning as we look at the crucifixion of Christ uh, through different lenses, different viewpoints. But as you are turning to Luke 23, I want to give you an update on something we shared last week and no doubt is still on your your heart in in a very real and heavy way. It is uh, our response to all of the disaster um, that the tornadoes over the course of this last week have brought. Uh, I wanted to give you a little bit of an update of where we are and how you can continue to get involved, okay? So we want to first start out by saying thank you to everyone. Thank you so much. For, for giving, for serving, for being a part of the effort to, to serve the people of Roland Fork and Silver City and everywhere along the line of the disaster path of the tornado. Uh, just this past week, Monday and Tuesday, we had two 18-wheelers, one at Kroger, one at Lowe's. Uh, the goal was to plant, to pack those things in a week's time. You pack them in two days' time. Um, they were sent off, and they are being, uh, all of the things inside of them, all of the donations are being used even at this moment. Um, So we are not collecting any disaster relief items at this moment because there is so much. Um, But there are other ways that you can get involved, other ways that you are needed to be involved, okay? Let me, let me share these with you. Uh, And if for some or whatever reason you zone out on me while I'm talking, remember this, broadmoor.org forward slash connect broadmoor.org forward slash connect. That's going to give you all the information I'm about to share with you, but let's do it quickly. We have the distribution center of Rolling Fork that needs help. They need help sorting through all the donations that have come through and to to not only sort them, but to to make sure that they are categorized in a way that can be given out quickly and thoughtfully. Uh, And so we need teams of people who will go and do just that. Uh, If you are looking for more hands-on, chainsaw, heavy lifting, manual labor type stuff, We are partnering with Samaritan's Purse. They are looking for manual labor volunteers to help with cleanup. Again, broadmoor.org forward slash connect. If you are looking for something to do here, maybe you can't give your time or don't have the capacity to go to to Rolling Fork or Silver City or anywhere uh, along that path, we are packaging 600 snack bags uh, this week. And so we need items to go into that bag. The items are listed for you. There's about five of those items. You can find those, guess where? Broadmoor.org forward slash. You guys are so smart. It's so good. I'm so glad. So please hear me one last time. I know, I know, I know. It would seem with all the devastation that, that the people would need all the things that you want to bring. We are not collecting all the things at this moment. Um, we have been asked by the, the leaders in Rolling Fork, in Silver City, in, in these disaster recovery areas, please do not bring the things because as you can imagine, there's nowhere to put the things. 
okay? So we are not collecting pillows or clothes or blankets or, or those things at the moment, but we are collecting things to go into the snack bag, and you can drop those off at the rock, in the entrance of the rock. There'll be signs there. You can do that today or this coming week, broadmoor.org forward slash. Come on, guys. We, we got it. Look, if y'all doing that good with announcements, think how y'all going to do in the sermon. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay. We're jumping into the sermon. It's Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday that we celebrate every single year. And we remember Jesus coming into Jerusalem. This is, this is the time of year that, that we remember uh, our, our Savior's march into this city that would soon go from cheers of joy to cheers of crucify. And it would be on the Sunday prior to Resurrection Sunday. It would, it would be on that day that Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem and his disciples and all of the people in all of the places grabbed palm branches in their hands and they had them up in the air and they were waving them and they said, Hosanna, 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 which is a Hebrew word for God save us. They realized who he was, at least in that moment. But they thought the salvation would be a little differently than it would unfold over the course of the week. But it was in that moment, and Luke's gospel tells us this, that the Pharisees didn't like what they were seeing. That these people were essentially saying this, this was God coming into the city, and they were begging him to save them. So the Pharisees say to the Lord Jesus, stop them, tell them to be quiet. The, the word is rebuke, rebuke them. And that's where we hear the famous words of Christ when he says, if I tell them to stop, even the rocks will cry out. There is nothing that can be done to stop the praise of our God as he is walking into Jerusalem. This is the Sunday prior to Resurrection Sunday. But that's not where we are in our sermon series. We find ourselves today in Luke chapter 23, which is in the middle of Good Friday. So as, as we look to this, we see that a couple of things are going on. We, we see that it wasn't just a few moments ago. So, so last week, we looked at Luke 22, and, and that is the night prior. So this is between Thursday and Friday, and, and Jesus is in the garden, and, and he's praying, and he asked the Father, Lord, if there can be any other way, let this cup pass from me. He says... Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then, then last week, if you remember, we went to, to Jeremiah 25 to, to figure out what was in the cup. What was the thing that would cause Jesus to, to ask the Father to do something different than, than he had originally planned? What was in the cup? Well, as we, we saw last week, it was the wrath of God. It was all of God's wrath being poured out on all of mankind's sin. And so in there, there was this weight, this weight of this, this is the thing that Christ came to do. And when it came to this moment, it was really heavy. Like heavy enough for the Son of God to say to God the Father, please let this happen a different way. But don't let my will be done, Father. Let yours be done. And evidently, the Father's will was for him to keep the cup. And so, as we continue, we pick up today in Luke 23 with Jesus nailed to the cross. The betrayal of Judas, the arrest, Peter's denials, the back and forth between 
Pilate, Herod, and the Pharisees, the beating, the crown of thorns, the agonizing walk to Golgotha has just taken place over the course of the last few hours. And we pick up in Luke 23, verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Now, again, this verse will set up our time today, but Luke has a theme. All the gospel writers have a theme when it comes to, to anything that they write. Luke's narrative through, through the, Luke chapter 1 to the end of, of his gospel is clearly the Savior is innocent. And when we get to this Passion Week narrative, we see it even more clearly as he is writing emphatically, and he was innocent. So when we get to verse 32, and the two others who were criminals, which would imply that Christ was not because he was innocent, but they were going to be put to death with him. Verse 33 and following. And when they came to the place that was called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, listen, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots for his garments. Now, if we ever wanted to see the heart of our Savior on display if we ever wanted to see the heart of, of Christ in just a sentence, it would be in this prayer here. It would give us a clear indication of his heart for us and for the mission that he was set to accomplish. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Like, I, I know, guys, I know, I know we are in the Easter season, and for many of us in this room, we have looked at the Easter season year after year after year after year. But please, with all that I am, I'm begging you, please do not become inoculated to the beauty that is Easter. For if it is not Easter, if Easter does not happen, listen to me, nothing else matters. The virgin birth doesn't matter if Jesus doesn't come out of the grave. And so when we see this moment unfolding, this is the most holy of moments in all of time and space. And we see an innocent man who was just, over the course of the last couple of hours, who was beaten, who was mocked, who had a crown of thorns that was nailed into his head, who, who, was, who was absolutely stripped down to nothing and embarrassed, laid bare before everyone. And his prayer, God's prayer for God's people was not get them. God, did you see what they're doing to me? Come get them. He says, Father, forgive them because they have no clue what they are doing. That is the heart of our Savior. Now, if you, you read this critically, a question that may arise is this. Who is he saying does not know what they are doing? I would simply answer that everyone. The ones casting lots for his clothes as he is praying this prayer, they have no clue who he is really. In the next verse, it's going to be the people standing by, the people who are going to be scoffing. Look, look, this is how Luke records it. Look at verse 35. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others. 
Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Again, if you ever needed to know that you're not the king, please put yourself in this situation and try to sort out how you would respond. If you have all power and authority given to you, and you have all of these people mocking you, and just at the thought of a prayer could have all of heaven coming down to get them. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad I don't have that power at Kroger. When I go into the parking lot of Walmart, I'm glad the Lord didn't give me that. But in reality, this is what we're seeing. We are seeing God forgiving them in real time, time and time again. And the people who are actively mocking him and the people who are idly standing by, which includes everyone. So what he says is, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. This innocent man, this sinless and perfect man, this is how he was treated. This is how he was mocked. In verse 39, and one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Guys, there's so, so much good stuff here. This isn't a sermon on, on the thief on the cross, although it could be just for a moment. So let's just, let's just take it there. This is the tale of two sinners. Both knew of Jesus. They, they knew of him. One wanted Jesus just to do something. Jesus, get us out of this situation. More than likely, he had heard the stories. Maybe he's even seen some of the miracles. If you're the son of God, do something. Get us off this cross so we can go back to our old life. Remember, their old life ain't great. Those two guys, they ain't great. Get us off this cross so we can get out of here if you're that guy. But the other sinner wanted something different. He wanted Jesus, the King of glory. This is what he says. This is what his words were, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, you have heard me say, and I will stand by this, what we know as the sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. It's not even a biblical thing. Although the sinner's prayer, as we know it, is evangelicals, is not in the Bible. The repeat after me prayer, that's not a thing. But this sinner's prayer is a thing. We have an incredibly detailed recording of what this sinner prayed to Christ on the cross to receive salvation. So as we unpack this just for a moment, I want you to see what happened. 
the confession he made without saying these words exactly. That's why, hear me out, when we come to Christ, it's not an incantation. If you say it right, you're in. If you say it wrong, you're out. It's a condition and a state and a posture of the heart. And so the posture of this man's heart who is hanging next to Christ on his own cross looks at him and essentially says, Jesus, I believe you are him. I believe you're the Christ. He he says this about it. The kingdom that's coming is your kingdom. That's how we put those two together. And we see, we see that his confession is we know that you are the one who was to come. And we know the kingdom that is coming is yours. And then he says this without saying it, have mercy on me. Jesus, remember me. Have mercy on me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43, and he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. All right, now listen to me across this room. I know there's a lot of people who've done church your whole life. You've walked with the Lord for a great deal of your life, and you, you should, and, and I, I know that you do. You praise God for every sovereign day that he has allowed you to follow him. But there's some of you here that you are not following Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, you don't even know him. You know him like the other thief knows him. Jesus can do some cool things. Maybe he's a powerful guy. And if he's really real, then maybe he'll do something for me to let me get about the life that I want to live in and of myself. The one that keeps getting me in trouble. God, just bless that if you would. That's not the way it works. When we come to Christ, we come with all that we are and we give all that we are and Jesus changes all that we are. So when we come to this and we see the thief on the cross, we see that, hear me out, he didn't get cleaned up to become saved. He didn't have to fix his life for God to fix his life. There's so many people in our world today that believe they need to clean themselves up before they come to God so God can clean them up. No, God comes to us while we are dead and breathes life into our dead bones. And so if you are here today and you have played this this dance all across your life and you keep coming to the Lord, but you're doing so in your own terms and in your own way, stop. Come to him just as you are. Confess him to be the Christ and put your hope and trust in him and watch him radically change everything about you. We see this for the thief on the cross, that for in that moment, in that moment, he went from death to life, even though death was staring him in the face. He says, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, in the beauty of all of that, let's go back to the cross. The death of Jesus. Verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Uh, what you have to understand here, you probably have a footnote at the bottom of your page. Those are, those are really important to understand some of the aspects of Scripture. The sixth hour is noon. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. So when it says that, that, that uh, darkness covers the whole land, it should be the brightest time of the day. But the sun stops. 
It's not shining. Verse 45 tells us, when the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, church, the theological and practical implications of this moment is absolutely huge. The curtain of the temple was used to separate the holy of holies, that's the place where God's presence would dwell, from everything and everyone else. That, that was not to protect God from everything. That was to protect everything from God's holy presence. That's important to remember. It wasn't like God was feeble and frail hiding behind the curtain saying, oh no, I hope I don't get contaminated. It was if anything unholy ever came into the presence of God, it stopped existing. God is that holy, and that is the penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. And so something happens in this moment between the noon and the three o'clock hour, and the sun stops shining, and the veil of the temple is torn. Other gospel narratives say from, from top to bottom. God was inviting fallen humanity into his presence. How? What changed? What, what changed in that moment? What, what happened to cause this eternal shift? Verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, I want you to see this through another lens. Through, I want you to see this through the, the lens of the gospel writer John. So keep your place there in Luke, and I want you to go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. John 19 will be in verse 28. And after this, Jesus, knowing all that knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And Jesus had received the, the sour wine and he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The Greek word here for it is finished is called teteleste. And it means, the meaning of the core of it is what was to be accomplished is accomplished. What was it? What was finished? What caused God to tear the curtain? What happened that would allow unholy man to run into the presence of holy God? Church, the wrath of God is now satisfied. In its, com it's in its entirety, the cup is now empty. So in Jeremiah 25, the cup is filled. And he tells Jeremiah to go to every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, and make them drink from the cup. There is no choice to refuse. And now we have a moment in history where the cup is no more. What filled it is gone. And in that eternity-shaking moment, Jesus bows his head and gives up his spirit. Now back to Luke 23. 
Picking back up where we left off, verse 47. Now when the centurion, that's the Roman guard, saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was, what? Innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. And all the acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, Luke kind of gives us this understanding that after Christ breathes his last breath, it's as if a veil was lifted from their eyes and they realized what happened. The weight of everything just came down crashing on them. They just went home. They thought it was over. Matter of fact, Jesus yells out, it's over. For them, they had no clue what Tetelaste meant theologically. But for many of them, just in a moment, they realized they not only killed an innocent man, but they killed the Son of God. I don't know what to do with that way. They don't, I don't know what to do with that guilt or that shame. And so they beat themselves on the chest as they walked away to their homes and they just lived in their guilt. They had no hope. And that was a good Friday. Luke finishes out this theme innocent Christ had accomplished what he came to do, to make a way for sinful man to be redeemed back from God. But they didn't know that yet. All they saw was the blood. No doubt by this time pulled up around the base of all three crosses, but particularly that middle cross. The blood would haunt them for that day and the days to come. But we know there was something special about that blood. There was something different. Something that was eternally life-changing.